You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for October 8th, 2022 Saturday reading of the Arapaho County News. My name is Pablo. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Read it and reap. Aurora's public libraries are the beneficiaries of the city's largest used bookstore by Karina Julig. Sex ed book pulled from Cherry Creek School Libraries after parent complaint by Karina Julig. Endorsement. Polis is the proven and pragmatic voter choice for Colorado governor by Sentinel Colorado Editorial Board. Perry. Aurora has a secret, and the Sentinel is determined to tell it to you with the help of the courts, by Dave Perry, Sentinel Editor. And following up with miscellaneous articles. Read it and reap. Aurora's public libraries are the beneficiaries of the city's largest used bookstore, by Karina Julig, Sentinel Staff Writer, October 6, 2022 The Friends of the Aurora Public Library book outlet is easy to walk by if you aren't looking for it, tucked away as it is in a nondescript storefront on Illiff Square. But thousands of books flow through the small building each month as volunteers receive and then sell donations ranging from the latest library bestsellers to paperback thrillers. Not only is the bookstore the best value bibliophiles are likely to get in town, with trade paperbacks selling for as little as 25 cents and new releases just $5, it also goes towards a million dollar plus effort to preserve the Aurora Public Library for its current and future patrons. Launched in 1987, Friends of APL is celebrating its 35th anniversary this year and has donated over $1.1 million to the library since its inception. Quote, we were all shocked, unquote, said Mary Lewis, the Friends' current volunteer coordinator, upon realizing just how much money had been raised over the years. The book outlet is a labor of love, currently staffed by an all-volunteer team of 54. As they celebrate the milestone, the friends hope to spread the word about the outlet to more people in the Aurora area so that it can be a source of funding for the library for many years to come. Midori Clark, director of Aurora's Library and Cultural Services Department, said the friends' support is invaluable to the library system. Quote, it would be very hard for us to do our jobs as well as we do them without their support, unquote, Clark said. Quote, their continued advocacy and their energy is really inspiring and helps us serve the community so much better than we could do on our own, unquote. The library had a previous volunteer organization before the current Friends of the APL, but it dissolved many decades ago. In the 1980s, the library staff held a once-a-year book sale to raise money, but at the end of the sale still had many leftover books. 
It was at that point that Kathy Groth decided to help restart the organization. The Friends launched in 1987 and formally received a 501c3 designation the next year. When the book outlet first began, it operated out of the Central Library before moving to a storefront on Chambers and Alameda that left a lot to be desired, according to longtime volunteers. There was a bee infestation, and at one point, groundhogs chewed a hole straight through the floor. The book outlet moved to its current location in 2005, where it has a small but densely packed room full of books, albums, and DVDs. An employee-only back room full of even more books is where volunteers sort, catalog, and price donations before they go out. Quote, It's a madhouse, but we pass the fire inspection each year, which always surprises me. Unquote, Lewis said with a laugh. The average number of donations varies significantly, but everyone could remember the largest single donation the outlet has received. In the early 2000s, the son of a Colorado Springs couple donated his late parents' personal library of 100,000 books, which had to be driven up in about 20 trailers and placed in a rented storage unit. The husband was a collector of rare books, particularly about military history, and the wife collected cookbooks, among other things. The friends sold about half in a single day sale. Some were very valuable finds. Quote, "There was stuff in there you couldn't find anywhere else." Unquote, said volunteer Keith McGitchy. Most donations are less exciting. But every single book that is donated helps the friends raise money for the library. Lewis said that the outlet probably takes in over twice as many books as it sells each month. Books are organized by section and priced according to book type and whether or not they are a new release. Volunteers decide based on a number of factors which books to place on the shelves, which to donate to other places, and which to get rid of. For a while, the friends put books that they didn't think would sell in a dumpster, which they said was a difficult experience. Groth, who was in charge of discards for many years, said she and her family amassed a personal library of over six thousand books because there were so many instances where she couldn't bear to throw a book away. But putting books in the trash backfired sometimes. At one point, Groth was transporting books in her car to a dumpster outside a local King Supers, where she could sort and discard them surreptitiously on sight. But then, quote, somebody found them, pulled them all out, and donated them back to the library. Unquote. Since March, the friends have been contracting with the company Dreams Book Co., an online book recycling company started by a local entrepreneur. Books that don't sell will be recycled, and the paper used to make more books, insulation, or other products. The friends receive two cents per pound and have already received about five hundred dollars that way. Lewis said, "Plenty of books are purchased by the public. However, so many that in the first twenty-five years the book outlet was in operation, it raised six hundred thousand dollars for the library." Despite the fact that in its first decades, most of its books sold for as little as ten or twenty cents, quote, we used to have a nickel shelf. Unquote, 
volunteer David Origlio remembered. That figure was discovered in 2021 when Lewis was going through old filing cabinets and discovered a proclamation the Aurora City Council had written for the Friends' 25th anniversary, recognizing it for its efforts and for the money it had raised. She tallied up the numbers to see how much it had raised in the ensuing decade. When it came out to over $1 million, everyone was stunned. As of mid-September, the Friends of the APL has raised a cumulative total of $1,107,250 for the library system, including over $300,000 so far in 2022. It still sells most books for just a few dollars and has regular sales based on what sections most need clearing out in a given month, Lewis said. To celebrate its 35th anniversary, it held a sale where everything in the store was just 35 cents, and it also holds multiple half-off sales every year for the Friends 500-plus members who also receive a regular 10% discount as part of the bargain. The book outlet was closed for several months during the pandemic in 2020 and opened with reduced days. It's now back to its regular hours of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. each day. Oreglio said he used to come in right before opening on Saturday and would often be the ninth or 10th person in line waiting for the store to open. The outlet has a lot of regulars who will come in each week and check their favorite section just to see what's new, including Lewis's husband, a history buff. Booksellers from across the area as well as out of state will come to stock up along with scouts who will scour the shelves to see if there are any finds they can sell for a markup online or to another bookstore. Volunteers do plenty of their own book buying too, with Groth joking that they all pay to work there. Quote, it is a sickness if you work here, unquote, Lewis said. Quote, I always said my dream job was at Tattered Cover, but I'd spend everything I made at Tattered Cover, so this is much cheaper for me, unquote. Along with selling directly to customers, the bookstore also makes a brisk trade selling books to people staging homes and donates books to other organizations that reach out as well. Groth recalled seeing a request from the Adams 14 School District years ago for books for students and loaded up the entire back of her car and drove to the district office. Quote, the woman who had placed the ad cried when I showed up with all these books for children, unquote, she said. Another time, she was in an alley with her car full of books waiting for an organization she was making a donation to open up and a man walked by asking if she needed any help carrying things. Quote, he sees all the books and says, Do you have any books in Spanish? Unquote, Groth recalled. Quote, and he went off down the alley with an armload. Unquote. She's also donated to the Adams County Jail, but only went once because the requirements for what could be donated were so strict. No sex, drugs, or violence. Quote, that leaves out almost everything, including the Bible, 
unquote, Groth said. Foreign language books, particularly in Spanish and other commonly spoken local languages, are one thing that the French say they would like the outlet to receive more of than it currently does. The donations it does get are quite eclectic, though its most frequent authors include big-name thriller and romance novelists David Baldacci, James Patterson, Danielle Steele, John Grisham, and the like. Quote, it goes in cycles, whatever's hot at the time, unquote, Megachi said. The outlet receives a lot of religion books from the local seminaries as well as a lot of textbooks and children's books, he said. Any teacher who shows their school IDs can receive books for their students for half price, and the outlet tries to keep books that are frequently taught in schools on hand so that students and teachers can pick copies up for cheap. Volunteers will also write down the names of books that people are interested in and will give them a call back if it shows up as a donation, which it often does. People often think the outlet has an online database it can use to look up which books it has, but it's a pretty low-tech operation, with volunteers writing out requests on paper slips and taping them to the shelves. Along with books, the outlet also receives a lot of DVD and album donations from people who are downsizing their physical media collections in favor of streaming, but young people will come in to then go through the albums. Puzzles are also a big hit and were particularly popular during the pandemic. They were bought and donated back frequently, with Lewis saying they probably sold a few of the same puzzles five or ten times. That happens with books, too. Quote, People will read a book, bring it back, and it's already marked and you just put it back on the shelf, unquote, Megachi said. Much ink has been spilled on the decline of reading in favor of movies, TV, social media, and other proclivities. But despite all the things competing for readers' attention, their friends say that print is far from dead. Quote, there's lots of people who still love books, unquote, Lewis said. Quote, people still want to hold a book in their hands, unquote. The money that the bookstore raises goes mostly to helping pay for the costs associated with programs, as well as things like maintenance needs, friends of the APL Vice President Heather Garber said. Programs are important because they keep the library relevant, she said. Quote, and that's really what we need to do, because if they don't stay relevant, then people will stop going there, unquote, Garber said. Programming includes the library's annual summer reading program, as well as things like author visits throughout the year and educational programs on things as varied as, quote, how to update your resume to Dr. Seuss Storytime, unquote, Clark said. The library's current annual budget is about $6 million, according to Clark. That may sound like a lot, but the money goes fast, particularly as costs for books, furniture, and just about everything else have risen post-pandemic. Quote, Every dollar the Friends gives us is greatly appreciated, unquote, Clark said. Clark said that the friend's dedication to the library inspires her, and she hopes that it will still be around long after she is gone. Quote, 
It is amazing that a group of volunteers can get together and have such an impact on an organization, unquote, Clark said. Quote, it's a real pleasure being able to work with them just knowing how big their hearts are and how hard they work to get funding for the library, unquote. Sex ed book pulled from Cherry Creek School Libraries after parent complaint by Karina Julig, Sentinel Staff Writer, October 6, 2022. Aurora A sex education book has been removed from circulation in Cherry Creek School District Libraries following a parent complaint that prompted an internal review of three books. Quote, This was a decision that we take very seriously because we want our libraries to have a robust selection of materials and perspectives about lived experiences, unquote. Cherry Creek spokesperson Lauren Snell said. The district reviewed, quote, Let's Talk About It, The Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Being a Human, unquote, by Erica Moen and Matthew Nolan, quote, Gender Queer, a Memoir, unquote, by Maya Kobabe, and, quote, Flamer, unquote, by Mike Carrado, and ultimately decided to remove, quote, Let's Talk About It, unquote, from district libraries, Snell confirmed to the Sentinel Wednesday. According to the district, this is the only removal request that has happened so far this school year a time in which school and public libraries across the nation have faced an unprecedented number of attempts to have books removed. The books in question have been the subject of numerous removal attempts at school districts across the country this year, according to news reports. Published last year, quote, Let's Talk About It, unquote, is an illustrated sex education guide aimed at a young adult audience and includes information about LGBTQ identity. According to the publisher, the book covers, quote, relationships, friendships, gender, sexuality, anatomy, body image, safe sex, sexting, jealousy, rejection, sex education, unquote, and other topics. During public comment at the Cherry Creek Board of Education's September 12th meeting, a speaker named Sarah King, who identified herself as the parent of four students in the district, said the book has been temporarily removed from a school library at her request, stating that she believed it was obscene and not appropriate for children. Quote, I want to express my utter shock and despair that this book was in a school library in the first place, unquote, King said. In the book, she said, quote, you will find things that are reserved for the darkest corners of the internet and would be shocking to the decent adults of this community, much less children, unquote. She also expressed frustration that, quote, genderqueer, unquote, and, quote, flamer, unquote, were available in school libraries. She said that the book promoted obscenity with drawings and descriptions of, quote, vile and depraved acts, unquote, and listed a series of specific page numbers that had inappropriate content. Quote, These books sexualize children and destroy their innocence, unquote, King said. Quote, Let's talk about it, unquote, 
contains anatomical drawings of genitalia as well as several illustrations of people engaging in sexual activity. It also includes frank discussions of sex and relationships and topics including sexting, pornography, gender expression, and sexual identity, STDs, and birth control. Quote, Gender Queer, unquote, is an illustrated memoir that discusses the author's adolescence and experience of coming out as non-binary, someone who identifies as being neither a man or a woman. It includes several sexually explicit illustrations, according to news reports. Quote, Flamer, unquote, is a semi-autobiographical graphic novel about a gay teenage boy struggling with his identity due to bullying and homophobia. Following King's complaint, the books underwent a review process conducted by library media specialists and administrators at the district and school level, during which time the books were not made to be available to be checked out, Snell said. Quote, I can confirm that we temporarily removed the book referenced by the mom from the library for review based on Board of Education Policy IJL, unquote, a district statement provided to the Sentinel read. Quote, As always, families can have individual conversations with their children about the library materials they check out, unquote. The district's policy regarding library materials selection, which was adopted and last revised in 1998, states that library media specialists should assess collections regularly and that criteria for removing materials includes limited circulation, out-of-date or inaccurate information, and, quote, inappropriate content for the age maturity of the intended audience which may include explicit adult or sexual content or extreme violence, unquote, among other factors. Quote, the Board of Education of the Cherry Creek School District maintains that the purpose of education is, in part, to develop within students the capacity to reason, to form decisions based on intelligent analysis, to communicate, and to live compassionately with one another, unquote. The policy states, quote, To meet these educational goals, the board encourages the selection of a wide range of media on all levels of difficulty with diversity of appeal and different points of view. The Board of Education supports the principles of intellectual and academic freedom. Unquote. The policy says that parents, teachers, and students are encouraged to reach out to library staff directly if they have concerns about any specific materials. Ultimately, Snell said the district's team decided to keep, quote, flamer, unquote, and, quote, genderqueer, unquote, on shelves and remove, quote, let's talk about it, unquote, because it included content that was inappropriate for young people and contained some material about sexting that the district was worried could promote illegal behavior. One of the book's chapters is focused around sexting and discusses the etiquette, legality, and internet safety facets of exchanging naked photos with another person. While the book generally takes a positive stance on sexting, it also explicitly states that exchanging nude images of a minor is illegal and should not be done by anyone under 18. 
Quote, as exciting as sexting is, there are serious legal consequences for sharing naked photos of folks under 18, even if the photos are of you and you're sharing them with someone who's the same age, unquote, the book said. Quote, let's talk about it, unquote, was previously on shelves in the libraries at Eagle Crest and Cherokee Trail High Schools, but according to district records, had not been checked out, Snell said. Reader interest is one of the factors that go into determining what material to include on shelves. Although the book is no longer in circulation, Snell said that students will not be prohibited from bringing their own copies of the book onto school grounds or teachers from discussing excerpts of the book in class. Snell said that the decision to remove the book was not made lightly. Quote, let's talk about it, unquote. Quote, genderqueer, unquote, and, quote, flamer, unquote, have all been heavy targets of censorship in recent months due to the fact that they contain some sexually explicit illustrations and LGBTQ content. Last month, quote, let's talk about it, unquote, was removed from the young adults section of a Valley City North Dakota Library due to concerns about its explicit content, according to the Valley City Times record. Quote, I'm not into book banning, but I believe that some children shouldn't see this. This is definitely not what I'd want an 11-year-old to see, unquote, Vicki Lavelle, county commissioner, said in the article. A recent report from free speech organization PEN America found that from July 2021 to June 2022, there were over 2,500 instances of individual books being banned in schools across the U.S. The majority of attempts to ban books were being led by organized political groups, PEN said, of which the organization identified more than 50. Quote, Many Americans may conceive of challenges to books in schools in terms of reactive parents or those simply concerned after thumbing through a paperback in their child's knapsack or hearing a surprising question about a novel raised by their child at the dinner table, unquote, the report said. Quote, however, the large majority of book bans underway today are not spontaneous, organic expressions of citizen concern. Rather, they reflect the work of a growing number of advocacy organizations that have made demanding censorship of certain books and ideas in schools part of their mission. Unquote. Over 40% of banned books had LGBTQ themes or characters, and 40% featured main or secondary characters of color, the report said. Another 22% included sexual content. In an email, LGBTQ advocacy organization One Colorado Executive Director Nadine Bridges said that attempts to censor books containing LGBTQ content contributes to a culture of isolation for LGBTQ young people at a time in their life when many of them are struggling to determine who they are. Quote, when books that represent these students' identities are censored, it sends a harmful message that there is something inherently wrong or shameful about them. It generates messages of exclusion and invalidation to their classmates, unquote, Bridges said.
endorsement. Polis is the proven and pragmatic voter choice for Colorado governor. By Sentinel Colorado Editorial Board, October 7, 2022. Successful political leadership is about making apt choices. Democratic Governor Jared Polis has accumulated a track record over the last four years of making solid decisions while guiding the state through seemingly endless crisis. His challenger, Republican Heidi Ganahl, in less than a year of campaigning for governor, has offered the public a litany of alarming judgments, creating her own endless crisis. Long before becoming a Colorado congressman and then governor, Polis boasted a record in the region for pushing his cherished cause forward, providing quality education for everyone and especially people often left behind. Many in the region first became acquainted with Polis not just as an energized member of the state's Board of Education, but as the creator of the New America School at Laurie in Aurora. The unique charter school was created as a haven for minorities, immigrants, and refugees struggling with jobs, real-life challenges, and wanting a chance at education and a diploma. While the equity gap in education was widening when the school opened in 2004, Polis, even then, was working to narrow it. That same mission became a dominant theme in Polis's campaign for governor four years ago. Polis was steadfast in insisting that, as governor, he would evoke best practices to better serve minority and underprivileged communities, insisting that education is our community's most powerful equalizer. And he did. Colorado now boasts free, full-day kindergarten to all families who want it. And last year, Polis helped push through free and expanded free preschool offerings, especially for those families struggling to provide it. Research and data have long shown that quality education is paramount to closing equity, health, and earning gaps among state residents, and quality early childhood education even more so. It's accurate to say that without Polis driving those projects, they wouldn't have happened when they did. In a state vastly underfunding public education, this was no small feat. Decisions based on data, fairness, and individual freedoms have long been hallmarks of Polis as a legislator in Congress and especially as Colorado governor. As a tsunami of confusion, fear, and fragmentation enveloped Colorado while the pandemic swept into the state, Polis was a steady and successful hand at guiding the state through a blizzard of threats and unknowns. His success then and in most areas of policy even now, came from using vetted and transparent data as his compass. Many federal and state agencies virtually had to invent critical health and economic policies on the fly as the world moved along through the pandemic. Publicly navigating mountains of changing data allowed Polis to build public trust and confidence in his leadership and decisions. The result is a state that weathered the worst of the pandemic far better than almost all others, and it's one that now boasts one of the strongest economies in the nation. While we have sometimes energetically disagreed with Polis's policy decisions, 
especially those that often favor individual or local autonomy over options prioritizing the good of the pack. His defenses are based on pragmatism and data, not politics. Ganahl, currently an elected University of Colorado regent, has proven herself to be anathema to that style of leadership. Repeatedly, she has armed her campaign with populist and ill-conceived soundbites, claims, and propositions. She blames Polis for climbing inflation, which rages not just across the nation, but across the world. She blames Polis for rising crime, which also plagues nearly every state and especially large cities in the country. Ganahl has proposed a bevy of plans to cut or cancel taxes while simultaneously rocketing spending for roads. She has been pressed repeatedly by the media to produce even a rudimentary proposal and offered only vagaries and word salad. The famously conservative Dean Singleton, former publisher of the Denver Post, in a broadcast interview of Ganahl last week called her scheme, quote, bullshit, unquote. Ganahl has made clear she would work with anti-abortion rights proponents and lawmakers to undo Colorado's legislated protections for women. Meanwhile, Polis has unequivocally defended women's reproductive rights in Congress and as Colorado governor. Even at the outset of her campaign, after winning the GOP nomination in June, she hobbled her effort by selecting Danny Moore as her running mate an outed and unapologetic election denier. Just months before, Moore was unanimously removed by both Democrat and Republican members of the state's Congressional Redistricting Committee for his outlandish social media remarks about the, quote, stolen, unquote, 2020 presidential election. Both he and Ganahl have dismissed repeated queries about his remarks or regrets saying only that he now agrees that President Joe Biden is the commander-in-chief. And just last week, Ganahl used a whirlwind tour of TV and radio media interviews to promote a repeatedly debunked conspiracy theory that public schools statewide are rife with children who identify as cats or, quote, furries, unquote, wrecking havoc in public schools. Her only proof for promoting the bizarre and dangerous dog-whistle attack on LGBTQ students is unfounded claims by apparently similarly unbelievable allies. Almost daily, Ganahl has shown a remarkable and alarming lack of sound judgment and ability to make reasonable decisions based on facts and reality. It would be difficult to see a clearer choice for Colorado voters than to elect Polis for another term to continue leading the state toward a better future for everyone. We share Polis's vision for a safer, more affordable, and more equitable life for everyone here, attainable by pushing pragmatic, solid solutions based on real data and real life. Voters should undoubtedly retain Polis as governor for another term. Perry, Aurora has a secret, and the Sentinel is determined to tell it to you with the help of the courts. By Dave Perry, Sentinel Editor, October 5th, 2022. First, 
when the Sentinels sued the city to force them to provide the recording of a closed meeting among council members, which clearly violated the spirit and letter of Colorado open meeting laws, we won our case, briefly. The Sentinel is still fighting the mystery. This all started earlier this year when Councilmember Danielle Jurinsky appeared January 27th on a local right-wing talk radio show. Jurinsky spent considerable on-air time disparaging changes in Aurora's beleaguered police department. During the radio show, KNUS host Stefan Tubbs asked Jurinsky how she would fix staffing and other problems in the police department. Quote, we removed the chief immediately, and with her takes out the trash of the deputy chief of police, Darren Parker, unquote. She also called now former police chief Vanessa Wilson, quote, trash, unquote. Wilson was later fired by the Aurora city manager, who insists it had nothing to do with Jurinsky's pressure. Parker retired after Wilson was sacked. The radio talk and other events prompted fellow council member Juan Marcano to seek censure proceedings against Jurinsky. Jurinsky said her comments were free speech. Marcano said she crossed a line and was improperly interfering with Aurora government, including admitting that she tried to persuade Wilson to replace Parker. And so, Jurinsky lawyered up with local attorney David Lane. The city hired outside lawyers to begin the process of finding out just whether Trinsky's behavior and meetings actually did violate city regs. On March 14th, the city council met in executive session to talk about the censor issue, a dubious move to begin with, given that the public has every right to understand the allegations and any defense Jurinsky could offer. During the meeting, According to city council members and staff there, attorneys were supposed to provide details on fact-finding, shedding light on Marcano's claims and Jurinsky's public admissions. They did none of that, according to multiple sources. Instead, reportedly, the secret meeting became a verbal melee with Jurinsky making a variety of claims, including that her own attorney should have accompanied her in the closed city council meeting. This really happened, witnesses said, after time spent arguing, but before paid outside city lawyers could present any evidence on the allegations against Jurinsky, Mayor Micah Coffin pulled city council members on whether to kill the whole thing. When you're an elected official, it's called voting. When you're defending the city's improper vote behind closed doors, it's called, quote, polling, unquote. When the Sentinel demanded a recording of the meeting to find out what was said to persuade lawmakers against the censure process that, under city law, must be carried out in public, we were told that it was a legally private matter because attorneys were in the room. A week later, the city, in public session, without explaining, agreed to pay Jurinsky 16000 tax dollars to hire Lane to defend her for allegations the public only read about here and never heard about in a required meeting. So, the Sentinel, backed by lawyers from Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, asked a local court to decide whether Aurora violated open meetings law by allowing city council members to decide, in secret, 
a measure that would hand over $16,000 to a fellow lawmaker to defend against allegations that the city paid to research and probably even considered. On July 26th, Arapahoe County Judge District Court Judge Elizabeth Beeb Bowles agreed with the Sentinel and ordered the city to come clean. Sort of. Rather than ruling that the city violated the open meeting law, the judge ruled the city had not posted the closed meeting correctly under state law. Quote, the court finds that the subject of the executive session was to receive information from counsel on the process to be followed in addressing a censure complaint. The counsel did not vote on ending the censure action as alleged in the Sentinel's complaint. However, there was a roll call taken on what direction to give to legal counsel on how to proceed. While this action might very well fall into the category of legal advice, the court is still faced with the fact that the announcement of the executive session does not appear to comply with the requirements of the applicable statutes, unquote. Then Beeb Vols essentially asked whether that was okay with Aurora. Quote, the court is, however, also mindful of the special status attorney-client communications hold and therefore will grant the counsel an opportunity to consider the court's ruling prior to release in order to take any action they deem appropriate, unquote, Bean Bulls wrote. They said, quote, no, unquote. Last week, Bean Bulls agreed. Quote, here, it appears clear to the court that the March 28, 2022 public meeting of the council clearly identified what took place at the March 14, 2022 executive session and that the council publicly considered the proposed action to adopt a stipulation to terminate any further investigation into council member Jurinsky's conduct. Unquote, B. Vols said in the ruling. Clearly, the city did not offer any detail or explanation to the public in its March 28th meeting, according to tapes and reports of that public session. And despite the judge giving Aurora a temporary win on an onerous technicality, we're determined to force the city to tell the public what went on inside that meeting. Who stopped the city's attorneys from presenting what they gleaned during their investigation? What were the arguments made by city lawmakers in defense of and against Jurinsky's behavior? Who considered it good government to award a fellow lawmaker $16,000? City law unequivocally makes clear that a city council member can be awarded legal fees to defend against censure only after the case is adjudicated publicly by fellow lawmakers and only after the accused city lawmakers is acquitted by a vote. That never happened unless it happened in the secret meeting. We're not done yet. We're weighing our next legal steps. Not only are rulings on cases like this important to Aurora, making clear that the public's business must be conducted in public, but it's critical for every resident in the state. Allowing Aurora lawmakers to secretly decide on another's political fates and spend taxpayer money on consequences is anathema to open, responsible government. The fastest and easiest way forward is for the city to just release the recordings of this secret meeting without a court forcing them. Doing the right thing in the future will be much easier by just deciding to do the right thing now. All that takes is six votes on the city council.
Holland, U.S. Expanding Sand Creek Massacre Site by James Anderson Associated Press, October 5th, 2022. Denver. Interior Secretary Deb Holland announced an expansion Wednesday of a National Park Service historical site dedicated to the massacre by U.S. troops of more than 200 Native Americans in what is now southeastern Colorado. Holland, the first Native American to lead a U.S. cabinet agency, made the announcement during a solemn ceremony at the Sand Creek Massacre National Historic Site about 170 miles or 272 kilometers southeast of Denver to honor the dead, survivors, and their descendants. The move marks the latest step taken by Holland to act on issues important to Native Americans in her role as Interior Secretary. Holland's, quote, Tribal Homelands Initiative, unquote, supports fundraising to buy land and requires federal managers to seek out indigenous knowledge about resources. Holland's selection to lead the federal agency that has wielded influence over the nation's tribes for nearly two centuries was hailed as historic by Democrats and tribal groups who said it meant that indigenous people who lived in North America before the United States was created would for the first time see a Native American lead the powerful department where decisions on relations with the nearly 600 federally recognized tribes are made. Earlier this year, the agency released a first-of-its-kind report about Native American boarding schools that the U.S. government supported to strip indigenous people of their cultures and identities. She has also formally declared, quote, squaw, unquote, a derogatory term and taken steps to remove it from federal government use and to place other derogatory place names. Expansion of the Sand Creek Massacre site will provide more opportunities for visitors to learn about the 1864 massacre of Cheyenne and Arapaho, most of them women and children, Holland said Wednesday. She declared that it is her department's, quote, solemn responsibility, unquote, to, quote, tell the story of our nation, unquote. Quote, the events that took place here forever changed the course of the Northern Cheyenne, Northern Arapaho, and Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes, unquote, she said. Quote, we will never forget the hundreds of lives that were brutally taken here, men women, and children murdered in an unprovoked attack. Stories like the Sand Creek Massacre are not easy to tell, but it is my duty, our duty, to ensure that they are told. This story is part of America's story." Unquote. The historic site near Eads, Colorado, preserves the haunting landscape of the November 29, 1864 attack by a volunteer U.S. Cavalry Regiment. Troops swept into a sleeping encampment of 750 Native Americans along Sand Creek, killing more than 230 Cheyenne and Arapaho, most of them women, children, and the elderly. The expedition ostensibly was to retaliate for North American raids on white settlers. Soldiers carried body parts back to Denver in celebration but some commanders refused to attack, saying Native American leaders who believed they had made peace with the U.S. commander of nearby Fort Lyon tried to wave white flags. 
Congress condemned leader Colonel John M. Shivington for an unprovoked massacre. Max Baer, the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes of Oklahoma, welcomed Holland's homage as sustaining the storytelling mission he and countless others have dedicated their lives to. Quote, We don't want our children and grandchildren to fight an uphill battle to know what happened to our folks, unquote, said Bear, a descendant of Cheyenne chief black white men who sought food and shelter for the widowed and the orphaned after the attack. Whiteman also signed the Treaty of Medicine Lodge in 1867, intended to end retaliatory Indian raids by forcibly settling Cheyenne, Arapaho, and other tribes to reservations on, quote, Indian territory, unquote, in what is now Oklahoma, Bear said. Quote, we weren't at war. You can't call Sand Creek a battle, unquote. Bear said, quote, In this time of book banning, I think it's more important than ever that our history be told correctly. Unquote. Sand Creek was established as a National Park Service historic site in 2007. The service has collaborated with the Northern Cheyenne of Montana, the Northern Arapaho of Wyoming, and the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes of Oklahoma. The new expansion also will preserve what Holland called one of the largest intact shortgrass prairie ecosystems within the national park system. In recent years, Colorado officials have attempted redress. State and U.S. officials are preparing to rename Mount Evans, a prominent Rocky Mountains peak named after Territorial Governor John Evans, who resigned after the Sand Creek Massacre. Last year, Governor Jared Polis rescinded an 1864 proclamation by Evans that called for citizens to kill Native Americans and take their property. In 2014, Governor John Hickenlooper apologized on the state's behalf to tribal members on the 150th anniversary of the massacre. Tribal representatives, National Parks Service Director Chuck Sams, and Colorado officials, including Hickenlooper, now a U.S. Senator, attended Wednesday's ceremony. Incorporating land from a private seller, the expansion was financed by the Land and Water Conservation Fund, established by Congress in 1964, and Great Outdoors Colorado, which invests state lottery proceeds to wild land preservation. The lands include significant archaeological remains and are considered sacred by the tribes. Aurora First Responders Recognized for Helping Mom Resuscitate Toddler by Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writer, October 5, 2022 Aurora An Aurora mom and several first responders were recognized Tuesday for their quick thinking that saved the life of a young boy experiencing cardiac arrest in August. Sharon Thompson was at home on the afternoon of August 11th when she found her 15-month-old son, Alexander, unconscious and not breathing, according to a city press release. Thompson called 911 and was connected with emergency communications specialist Julie McKay. McKay talked Thompson through the process of administering mouth-to-mouth ventilation and chest compressions in an effort to revive her son. Soon after, Aurora Police Officer Danielle Kennecutt and Aurora Fire Rescue Battalion Chief Joe Hill 
arrived and were able to restart young Alexander's heart through cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Dave Hammam, Bryant Snow, Patrick Taylor, and Michael Wu from Aurora Fire Rescue and Kenneth McKay and T. Tan from Ambulance Service Falk Rocky Mountain continued to provide medical care for Alexander, who was transported to the hospital. Thanks to the swift intervention of his mother and first responders, Alexander made a complete recovery and is neurologically intact, the city release said. On Tuesday, the group was honored with the city's Phoenix Award, given to individuals who successfully resuscitate someone in cardiac arrest who goes on to make a full recovery. Quote, I am celebrating Alexander's life, unquote, Thompson said during the ceremony that was attended by members of their family Tuesday. Quote, I thought my baby was gone, but he came back to us to have this wonderful moment. You guys are heroes, unquote. McKay has been recognized twice this year with the Phoenix Award. In March, she helped save the life of a woman who also experienced cardiac arrest, according to the release. Seen and Heard, Get Your Fall On Around the Aurora Region by The Sentinel, October 7, 2022 Boo! Seen and Heard brings you the best fall events around Aurora and beyond for the fall season. Whether it's spooky experiences, cozy entertainment, or festive treats, you'll find it here. Family Day with United Airlines and Wings Over the Rockies, October 9th, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., 7711 East Academy Boulevard, Denver, Colorado, 80230. Visit wingsmuseum.org forward slash events forward slash family hyphen day hyphen with hyphen united hyphen airlines for more information. It's pretty well known that Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum is packed wall to wall in the old airplane hangar turned museum with a bevy of exciting exhibits that is sky high. Lucky for you, They've got an event planned for this weekend that is the perfect excuse to pay a visit. United Airline employees, including pilots and technicians, will be available to answer questions about their careers as well as interactive activities and experiences. The event is included with the price of museum admission. For more information about this and other events happening around the Aurora region, please visit the Sentinel webpage sentinelcolorado.com forward slash o recent hyphen headlines forward slash seen hyphen heard hyphen get hyphen your hyphen fall hyphen on hyphen around hyphen d hyphen aurora hyphen region thank you for joining us for the arapahoe county news my name is Pablo. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.